want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Remember last week we had the witness cards and we ran out for you. We have thousands more of them to advertise our prayer ministry. You can take them with you. They're little business cards. Very attractive. There are more out there at the Ministry Resource Center, which will encourage people. We want to encourage people to, to give us their prayer needs. A little something we thought of after the prayer wall was set up. I thought we need to uh, find a way to tell people that we serve the community by praying for them. So when you go to eat and you leave a tip, leave one of those attractive little cards. And uh, they're available after the service. Today, I want to speak to you on the six glories of a godly tongue. Glory one is uh, taste. Glory one is food. I mean, glory two is food. Glory three is taste. Glory four is food. Glory five is taste. And glory six is, is food. Now, having gotten all the important things out of the way, what is the value of the tongue? Note Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There is a, the tongue that has the power to bring death and trouble or life and blessing. If Jesus Christ were to walk in this worship center this morning and ask every person in here who claims the name of Christ to give him one part of your body, which member of your body would you give? Some of you might say, I will give him my feet because I'm having trouble where I'm going. I will give him my hand. It gets me in trouble. I would give him my ear. It's what I'm hearing. I would give him my eye. It's what I'm seeing. I will give him my tongue. James said that the tongue is the most difficult member of the body to control or discipline. It is the toughest to bring under control. When you think you have everything else under control, watch out, your tongue will make you humble. And if you don't believe that, just watch. <laughs> oh, it's a hidden a part of the body? As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, sometimes the less seeming or the less visible parts of the body are the more important. You don't see the heart, but boy, it's tough to get along without it. You don't see the tongue. I mean, it's not good manners to show the tongue, is it? Hide the tongue. Put it in. Don't put it out. And yet the tongue, this weak, soft member of the body that can be so easily hurt. Did you ever bite your tongue? You got into a delicious barbecue sandwich and it was so good. And, and you got to biting and chewing in the ecstasy of enjoyment. And then, wow, you bit the side of your tongue. And it's sore for two days. And it swells up. I mean, you know how important your tongue is. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, all you can think about is that tongue. And you talk like this. The tongue is hidden, yet out of it issues words. It is the shaping of the tongue and the forming of the mouth. 
and the expulsion of breath in coordination, which produces words. I'm fascinated by men who just with words can move nations. Think of Lenin and Russia and communism with just words. Think of Patrick Henry with just words. Think of Abraham Lincoln with words. Think of the great orators of the day, William Jennings Bryan, with just words. And so words are the power of life and death. One of the greatest powers God has given a man is the power of words. And so we have our passage, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want to look at the six glories after examining the book of Proverbs and checking every verse in there with uh, lips, words, mouth, tongue. Uh, I, I want to examine, there are six categories, six glories of the tongue, of a godly tongue, and here they are. The first one is this, that a godly tongue always produces consequences. Actually, an ungodly tongue does also. There are consequences to everything you say. Now, take your Bibles. You'll have to stay with me today. Chapter 10, verse 18. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. See, there are consequences for what we do. Verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So in verse 18, the tongue can be used for many kinds of evil things. Lying, slander, discord, creating distress, flattery that's unwarranted or un insincere, gossip, mischief. Verse 19, there's a warning that many words can produce sin. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Beware what you say. The more words you speak, the more trouble you get into. You know, I worry about that as a preacher. The Scripture tells us that don't desire to be a teacher because you're more accountable. Think of all the words I have to give an account for. Think of everything I've said I have to give an account for. There are consequences to everything we say. Everything we say. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. In, in verse, uh, the second line, the heart of the wicked is worth little, but the lips of the righteous feed many, and fools die for lack of wisdom. Now, silver stands for redemption. What was the price of redemption for Judas Iscariot? 30 pieces of silver. The choice silver stands for the redeeming power of the tongue. We can share the gospel, or we can hold in the gospel. We can speak the gospel and give life, or withhold the gospel and give death. The power of the tongue. With it comes death and life, but there are consequences for everything you say. I must keep my words soft and sweet, lest any of them I will have to eat. You will pay for everything you say. Because in any group where you're speaking, there are always some people who remember everything you said. 
I'm amazed at people who can remember that 36 years ago, I preached on this subject and I said this, or I said that, the power of the tongue. You and I have no idea when you sit under the spell of a great orator or a great speech and men are moved to action. He moves people for good or bad just with that tongue, with that mouth. Remember, there are consequences for every single thing we say. Such is the power of the tongue. But secondly, the glory of the tongue is that it promotes health. It promotes health. The tongue has a tremendous power to promote goodwill. Look at chapter 12 and verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. I like the New American Standard here. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, how many times have you said something which you knew was going to rile someone up? Do you know that there are very few people who have the capacity to understand the consequences of their words before they say them, to think how it's going to be received? But the Scripture records that God has given the tongue the gracious power to soothe anger or, or to uh, pre prevent a quarrel or, or to bring down wrath or to bring people together. Look at Proverbs 15.2 or 15.1 first. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you have the power to promote health and goodwill. Chapter 15, verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. It's one thing if a sinner on the street calls me in and says, I loved your message last Sunday. But when a godly man or a woman tells me that they've gotten a blessing from it, the words of the pure are always pleasant. They promote encouragement. They promote goodwill. Chapter 16, verse 24. It's a very, very good word. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Do you understand how you speak to your children creates the envir environment for that day? Do you understand that good words, pleasant words promote godly health? That's why we come together on the Lord's Day. You ought to leave this place feeling on top of God's world because somebody has spoken a pleasant word and encouraged you and promoted good sense, a good feeling, a good, a good uh, uh, sense about who you are. I love chapter 12, verse 25. It reminds us of something very important. Chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of man, 12:25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes the heart glad. The good word builds up and promotes health and brings healing. The good word is rich from one believer to another believer from a wife to a husband, from a husband to a wife. When you sit down to evaluate your message,
Don't be afraid to tell her that she's in the negative mood and kickative tense, and that when she talks to you, it's always negative or always griping or always complaining. And then you show her and encourage her or show him and encourage him how to speak a good word in season. But when we take the tongue with the power of life and death and use it in a godly way with each other in correction and encouragement, it promotes health. The words of the pure are pleasant to the soul. They encourage the soul. You may come to church down. You may come to church in distress. Anxiety causes depression. But a good, good word will make the heart glad. Don't you love to be around people who know how to speak good words? I mean, the atmosphere is totally different. You can go around some people, and the world is always something wrong with the world. And there's always something wrong with them. And there's always something wrong with you. And then you're around the pure, and there's always something pleasant. So it not only the tongue not only produces consequences, it promotes health. The third thing the tongue does is to plant life. Now, let's look at chapter 12 while we're right here in verse 19. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Now, a godly tongue sets the course for life. See that? A truthful lip shall be established forever. You'll see this same idea in chapter 15, verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. You remember the vineyard we talked about last week? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. One of those trees in our vineyard is a tongue, and the tongue is a tree of life. With my tongue, I can give off discouragement. I can give off depression. I can, I can bring condemnation or criticism. But with my tongue, I can give encouragement and life. So chapter 12, verse 19 states it clearly. The truthful tongue shall be established forever. When I make a statement, a word, an expression of what's going on inside me, I must take it seriously. Remember what Jesus said? He said, what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a man, not what goes in. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And in fact, Jesus said, when he comes again, every idle word which men shall speak, they shall give an account. Every idle word, we shall account for what we say. Those idle words which do not establish life or we do not mean. Good way to put that is we must say what we mean. And for the glory of God, we must mean what we say. September, I mean, November 28th, 1959, I stood before C.E. Sprague and C.H. Courts, and I, with words, promised that I would be a husband to Shirley Ann Reinhardt, and I promised that I would treat her in a certain way. And those lips established my life. See, that's what this verse means. Truthful lips, when you make a covenant or a promise, they set the course for you. It's a covenant with your lips. It's a covenant with your words. There have been many promises that you and I have made that we had to keep that cost us dearly. 
but we had to carry them out. They were, they were valuable words, but we had to keep what we said. That's the way we establish life. We make commitments by how we establish life, and we establish life by making commitments. See, I, the, the choir is going to sing at Oaklawn Baptist Church tonight. They're going to do a concert. I'd love to get over and hear them. Wouldn't you love to hear them in another church? I'd love to hear them. But I promised to preach over in East Winston at Ambassador's Cathedral tonight. I, I preached for that pastor three or four times, so I've got to go over there and preach. Now, you're going to have Will Taburin preach here. Now, you all come right here tonight because they got enough people at Oakland to hear the choir. Don't go over there. Amen, choir? Choir, when I preach over there tonight, I guarantee you they will be involved with me. Now, you get involved. The people should come here tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last time I preached over there, I walked in behind the pastor with his robe on, and the people all got up and applauded. <laughs> Boy, I wish you all do that for me. <laughs> About the time I got in the pulpit, Brother Henry, two nurses in crisp uniforms brought me up orange juice and ice water for me. I said, what's that for? Oh, she said, you're going to need it. <laughs> and I got to preaching, and that Hammond organ came in behind me. Every time I get excited and get up, move that Hammond organ to go higher and higher and higher and higher, I was nearly out of breath. You know, I couldn't talk for two days when I got done preaching over there. <laughs> now, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> that Hammond organ coming in behind you. Why don't we have an organ here on Sunday morning? Come right in behind on the low points down low and on the high points up high. <laughs> she had smelling salts on that tray, the nurses did. And I said, what are those for? She said, that's for those that go down in the spirit. <laughs> wow, I thought that's going, to, that's going to be something if that happens to me. <laughs> but you know, we have, wonderful, we have a wonderful time over there. But see, I made a commitment. With my lips, I established something. I don't know, nine months ago, ten months ago, I established my life. How did I establish my life? By making a promise. How did you establish your life? By making a promise. You promised to work for this company. That establishes your life. That's why you've got to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. See, truthful lips, the, the, the tongue in the mouth of a godly man sort of sets your life in order. It establishes life and forces you to keep your commitments. Chapter 14, verse 3 says, In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Oh, you mean there's a preservation factor to what I say. That's right. You establish and plant life by what you say, and you preserve life by what you say. I love chapter 18, verse 4. Boy, if we could learn all these verses in the book of Proverbs, if we wrote them down, wouldn't God have a tool for controlling our tongues? Chapter 18, verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. When a godly man speaks, when a godly man uses words, he is like a well springing up with deep water on a field that is drought-laden. He, he, he is the words of wisdom from the godly mouth. 
produce so much. They plant life. They establish life. The words promote life. I can change a marriage by my words. I can change a new believer by my words as I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I speak the words that honor Christ. And so the power of the tongue is the power of death, and it is the power of life. There's a fourth glory of the tongue. It proclaims knowledge. It proclaims knowledge. Now, let's go to chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 2. Remember verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, watch verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The tongue of the wise. The Living Bible says a wise teacher makes learning a joy. Wow. Wouldn't that be neat to put on a a plaque for a teacher? A wise teacher makes learning a joy. The New American Standard says it this way, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. See, the, the wise use of the tongue creates an environment for people to listen to what you have to say. But, but if your, your talk is rash and foolish, men won't listen to you. And that's why it proclaims knowledge. That's why you want to be careful what you say. Do you know, I've often thought of Eli and Hannah. Do you remember in 1 Samuel when Hannah wants a baby so badly? Elkanah's other wife had a child and she didn't. And Eli was a big fat priest. You say, how do you know that? Because he fell off a board. He was so heavy when he heard that Hophni and Phinehas had died, and he broke his neck. He was a big, fat priest, and he woke up one morning and saw a lady worshiping God at the doorway of the tabernacle, and what was she doing? She was moving her lips. And he rashly, before he thought, spoke and said, woman, why do you come to God's house drunk? That's a paraphrase. Why do you come to God's house drunk? Now, she could have answered him smartly, but she didn't, did she? She answered him carefully. Oh, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just here praying, and I don't even know in my grief for a child, I don't even know what to pray, but I'm praying. Don't you know that there were a hundred times Eli wished he could have taken back those words and never said that? So in our passage, chapter 15, verse 2, she gave a soft answer, which turned away his wrath. But verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. Verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now look at this. Write down a little outline, Sunday school teachers. You can use it sometime. A soft answer is in verse 1. A smart answer is in verse 2. And a sweet answer is in verse 4. Sometimes when you need a little devotional talk, you pick that up. But, but it, a wise tongue, the glory of a godly tongue is that it speaks wisely and out of wisdom. Chapter 15, verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. Don't you feel good when somebody comes at you angrily and calls you a name, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you give a soft, 
spirit-filled answer, and it just lets the air out of their balloon. I don't know whether I'm spiritually sadistic or not, but I just love to do that. I love to do that. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. Chapter 16, verse 23. You'll see it again. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Where does, where does the control of the mouth come from? The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Sometimes I talk to myself <laughs> to tell me what to do. Matt, do you ever do that when you kick a football? You don't do that? You'll, you'll learn in pressure. There will be times in pressure when you have to do that. You have to talk to yourself. Ask John Casey. He doesn't want anybody talking to him before he kicks a field goal. He talks to himself. And sometimes we have to. The heart of the wise instructs the lips. See, it comes just like that. So there are consequences from our tongue. There it produces consequences, promotes health, plants life, proclaims knowledge. Here's a fifth one. It protects the soul. Wow. It protects the soul. Wise use of the tongue, godly use of the tongue. Turn with me to Proverbs 12, chapter 6, chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the wicked are, chapter 12, verse 6, lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. What you say is a good offense against evil affecting you. Be careful what you say. Don't learn the wrong words. Chapter 21, verse 23 in the book of Proverbs. 21, verse 23 reminds us now that a good tongue is not only a good offensive weapon, but a good defensive weapon. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I have made more trouble for myself by what I've said than I've ever made for anybody else. Amen? Are, have you? <laughs> I remember the time I was standing in this pulpit, and I thought, I'll just make up an illustration. And it was my $15 million illustration. How many of you remember the $15 million illustration? Boy, did I get in deep weeds. I, I said, I thought I said, suppose that I inherited 15 million from a great aunt. And uh, my wife and I have decided to give a third to the Lord to the, through the church, a third to the kids, and we'll just live on a third. And a lady stood up over here, one of my dear church members, and asked everybody to stand. They started applauding, and man, applause broke out everywhere. I blushed. I don't very often blush, but I blushed. I thought, what am I going to do? They applaud me for giving five million. I haven't even got, this is a supposed illustration. And I had to say, no, no, everybody sit down. I'm just, I'm just using it for an illustration. Man, I learned a $15 million lesson that day. Watch what you say. Amen. <laughs> What you say will deliver your soul from trouble. It will protect you. It protects the soul. The New American Standard says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. 
Agur, one of the writers said in Proverbs chapter 30, I like this one, Proverbs 30, 32, if you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. <laughs> that came from the Bible. Uh, have you ever had your child on the phone about to tell all the family secrets and you ran over and put your hand over their mouth? Or you went like this? Did you know that's biblical? That's where that came from. I remember when our children were at home, they would have their friends over. We'd learn all kinds of things about uh, uh, the, the Lisa Peters and the Peters family. I mean, she'd sit at the table and weave tails. And I mean, they were tall tails and they were hilarious. My dad did this. My dad's got that. My mama did this. My mother did that. I couldn't believe it. I'd come to church and say, Chuck, how's this going? What do you mean? I don't have that. <laughs> Put your hand it's biblical. Put your hand over your mouth. A word said rightly in right time is a great protector. It's a great defense against trouble. George Bernard Shaw wrote a new play, and he was ready for opening night of the play, and he sent two tickets to Winston Churchill. And he said, Sir Winston, he said, here are two tickets for you from the opening night of my new play. I want you to come and bring a friend if you have one. <laughs> to which Winston Churchill replied, I won't be able to come on opening night, but I will come the second night if you have one. I thought, yes. <laughs> How could he think of that? <laughs> you remember in Matthew 22, when the Herodians and the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, and they got him in a corner, and they said, now, here's, here's a coin. Shall we render tribute to Caesar or to God? And Jesus wisely said, unambiguously said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God's. And he, he deflected them. In fact, one translation says that the Herodians and the Pharisees tried to entangle him in his talk. I like to practice the rule of the second thought. Never say the first thing you think. And always ask the Spirit of God to delay the first thing you think and help you to say the second thing or at least to think the second. Now, sometimes I go back and say the first thing after I've said the second thing. Because the first thing may be right and necessary, but it may not be in due season. And it may get your soul in trouble if spoken at the wrong time. There is a sixth glory of the tongue. And it is purified by Christ. Purified by Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's go back to Proverbs 16.1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, hear me. You can study the Bible. You can be filled with Bible knowledge, and you should be. I can study for a message, and I should. 
I can prepare. The preparation is my part. The preparation of my heart is my part. The preparation of character is my part. The preparation of teaching is my part. But the answer depends on the control of Christ over my tongue. The answer is from the Lord. I have to depend upon God. That's why Proverbs 16.1 is so very valuable. The preparations of man's heart belongs to him, but the answer of the tongue really comes from the Lord. Go on down to verse 23, and you see it again. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. If the tongue has power of life and death, the preparation is mine. The answer is the Lord's. If Jesus were to walk in here today, what member of the body would you give him now? <laughs> I want to tell you that we have something that the writer of Proverbs never had available. This tongue, which James says is the most difficult to tame, we have the power of the indwelling Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to control, to discipline, our preparation may be that of character. It may be learning the Bible, but the answer of the tongue comes from God, and it comes when our whole lives are yielded, totally yielded over to him. A great preacher that I worked with in Greensboro, Bob McCluskey, who died a few years ago, they dissolved his library this week. I wound up with 15 boxes of books from his library. In there is an 1888 edition of Hannah Whitehall Smith's The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Whole original set of McLaren's commentaries. Incredible as I'm going through. Original editions of most of Vance Havner's work. Incre he was 46 years in that church. By the way, I don't try, plan to try to break his record. <laughs> I know some of you get nervous right there. Uh, 46 years in that church, a great orator, great orator. I can see him now standing. He wasn't a Bible teacher preacher. He was an orator. Now, gentlemen, the power of the tongue. I can hear him now going on. And he was standing there without notes. And he had read all week. He would spend hours going over the message, depending on the Lord. I remember his telling the story of Uncle Buddy Robinson, who was a great evangelist in the holiness Wesleyan Methodist tradition. He was preaching on the tongue one night, and a lady came forward. You know, they had an altar service after every preaching. Lady came forward. Uncle Buddy had a lisp. He talked like this, the priest with the lisp. And a lady came forward, and she said, Uncle Buddy, my tongue is so long. It's got me into all kinds of trouble. I want to give my tongue over to the Lord. He said, well, lady, here's 18 feet of altar. Lay it out there and see if that's enough. The power of the tongue. Now, as we close, I want you to go with me to Romans 10, because here is the New Testament answer to that, the power of the tongue. It's in Romans 10, 8. What does righteousness say? The word is near you. What word? The word of salvation. The word of righteousness. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the tongue has the power to confess Christ and bring life or deny Christ and bring death. He said, it is in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, confess with your mouth. <laughs> 
Now, the word confess is homologeos. It means say the same thing. When I confess sin, I'm saying what God already knows. When President Clinton confesses sin, he's saying what God already knows. God didn't need an independent counsel. He already knew. When, when you confess sin, you are saying what God already knows. And when you confess, look at verse 9, with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, with your mouth, there are no secret disciples. That's why the writer of Proverbs says, your tongue has the power of life or death. You must confess Jesus with your mouth. And Jesus said, whosoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before the Father which is in heaven. And whoever denies me, listen, folks, the tongue, hear me, those of you who are not sure of your salvation, the question is, have you confessed that Jesus is Christ? God already knows that. So when you confess, you line your life up with God's. You confess that Christ is the Savior and Lord. You are saying what God already knows. And in that agreement with God, there is power from heaven to transform your life and make you born again and give you life. That's the power of the tongue. It is the power to confess. Have you confessed your sin with a tongue? Have you confessed the Savior with your tongue? Have you given that tongue over to him? If words have been your stumbling point this week, I invite you during this invitation to come down to this altar and kneel. If words have been your downfall this week, I want you to come and just yield your whole body and say, I want my tongue to be purified by Christ, under the control of Christ. If you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, I'm going to invite you to stand up and walk to the front of this church and say to one of our counselors, I want to confess my sin. I want to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. I want us to stand, and we're going to sing. Will you stand with me as we sing hymn number 331? The pastors are here. Look to the nearest aisle. I want you to step out as God speaks to you and say, I want to join this church. I want to join, I want to join this body of believers. I want to confess my need. I want to kneel and pray and give my life or my tongue to Christ.